Welcome to the sermon podcast of First Church of Christ, where our goal is to lead generations into a life-changing, ever-growing relationship with Jesus Christ. We pray that you are encouraged and challenged by today's message. FCC family, hello. It's good to see all of you. If you're joining with us online, we're glad that you are with us as well. Uh, if you don't know me, my name is Brandon, and I'm uh, really glad that you're all here today. Um, as you can see from there, if you're, if you're new around here or haven't been around for the last few weeks, we've been digging into some topics that are oftentimes not talked about in the church. Um, we just got done talking three weeks on the topic of sexuality, and now we're going to dig into the topic of politics for the next three weeks. And um, you know, some of you may be wondering, <laughs> Brandon, why are you, what are you doing? Why are you doing that? Um, and here's, here's, here's what, like some of you may see like, okay, yeah, we definitely need to talk about this. Others of you are like, why are we doing this? Here's the thing. Um, when you surrender to Jesus, if you're a follower of Jesus, when you surrender to him, he not only forgives you and dwells you in the Holy Spirit, but also he adopts you into his family. And now those of us who are enemies of God are now children of God. And he brings us together in the church so that now we are a family of God and we get to, we get to talk about these things because of all the places that we could talk about sexuality and politics and deconstruction and race and gender and all of the things that are uh, talked about in culture of all the places we should be able to, as a family, talk about them here. Uh, and so that's why we're digging in. So that's why we spent three weeks on sexuality. It's why we not only just talked about it uh, uh, in Sunday morning service, but if you're in a community group, there were conversations that you had about that. And I know that a lot of you, some of you were uncomfortable for the last three weeks and um, maybe a different segment of you are going to be uncomfortable for the next three weeks. But I believe we can do this. I believe that the Holy Spirit is working in us and we can have uh, thoughtful conversations about what God has instituted and what our response to that is. Amen? Okay. So before we get into it, I want to remind you of something that I reminded us or, or proposed to us a few weeks ago, and that is our five peacemaking principles. So while we're talking about it on Sunday morning and in community groups and wherever else you have these conversations with, I believe we need to adopt these principles. Number one, lead with grace, humility, and honor. Lead with gra- Every person you see on this earth is made in the image of God. It doesn't matter their background. It doesn't matter where they're from. It doesn't matter what they look like. It doesn't matter their religious orientation. It doesn't matter. They're all made in the image of God. So we should lead with grace and humility and honor that they deserve. Number two, ask questions. If we're going to be humble, then we ask questions. If we want to actually understand what someone's perspective is, then we have to ask questions. Number three, we have to listen well. We have to listen well. Number four, we can disagree freely. Here's the thing, y'all. You can disagree with someone. And not attack them. And you can be disagreed with and it not be an attack on who you are as a person. And number five, love regardless. After all, Jesus said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. That's the first command and the second one's like it. Love your neighbor as you love yourself. So that's what we're going to seek to do, church, as we dig into the topic of politics. So today, we're starting what we did for the first week of sexuality. We're going to develop a theology of politics, a political theology. 
Now, uh, a couple days ago, uh, I posted a picture asking people to pray for me as I was writing this message. And uh, I got a call a little bit later from one of my ministry friends. And he said, hey, Brandon, are you okay? I saw your Facebook post. Um, Are you crazy? I said, man, listen, you know me. You know I'm either brave or dumb or both. He's like, yeah, you're both. (laughs) And some of you agree. But we're, we're going we're gonna to dig into this. And um, so what we're going to do is we're going to ask the question, what does God think about politics? And when, just so you know, just to define our terms correctly, politics is not just government. Politics is uh, polis, the, the word we get politics from, means city. It means the, the, the place where civilization interacts with each other. So when we talk about politics, we're talking about the political community where families and, and associations and, and businesses and government are all interacting in there. And a part of politics is government. So we're going to ask the question, what does God think about government? What does God think about politics? What does he have to say? If, does he have a, anything to say? And so that's what we're going to dig into. So if you have your Bible, we're going to be in Genesis, then Jeremiah, and then Romans. But I want us to go back and kind of take a step back, go back to the very beginning, and see what God would say. And so he said to Adam and Eve, when he created the first human beings of of, uh, humanity, he said, uh, be fruitful and multiply and govern the earth. Um, And so we know how that worked out. If you've heard the story of Adam and Eve, sin came in, they they committed sin, and then uh, after that, just human beings, we went wild. We went wild with sin and eventually got to a point where God said, you know what, I need to start over, need to hit the reset button. And he found a man named Noah and he called Noah to make this ark because he was going to cause a flood to come upon the whole earth and he was going to take out all of humanity uh, except for Noah and his family and all the animals except for the ones that were on the ark with Noah. And so he did that and did the restart button. And now we pick up the story in Genesis chapter 8. So if you have a Bible, Genesis chapter 8 is where we're going to start. Genesis chapter 8. This is God speaking to Noah. Genesis 8, starting in verse 21. When the Lord smelled the pleasing aroma, he said to himself, I will never again curse the ground because of human beings. Even though the inclination of the human heart is evil from youth onward, sin came in. And I will never again strike down every living uh, thing as I have done. As long as the earth endures, seed time and harvest time, cold and heat, summer and winter, and day and night will not cease. I wish you would have said summer, not winter, but that's another subject, right? Genesis 9, verse 1. God blessed Noah and his sons and said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. That should sound familiar. The fear and terror of you will be in every living creature on the earth, every bird of the sky, every creature that crawls on the ground, and all the fish of the sea. They are placed under your authority. Every creature that lives and moves will be food for you. As I give the green plants, I have given you everything. However, you must not eat meat with its lifeblood in it, and I will require a penalty for your lifeblood. I will require it from any animal and from any human. If someone murders a fellow human, I will require that person's life. Whoever sheds human blood by humans, his blood will be shed, for God made humans in his image. Verse 7, but you be fruitful and multiply, spread out over the earth and multiply on it. And so God gives a covenant to Noah, and uh, these are the expectations he gives to him, And then uh, after that, he says, this is the sign of the covenant, a rainbow. It's a sign that God's not going to do this again. And he says this in verse 17 is so important. God said to Noah, 
This is the sign of the covenant that I have established between me and every, every creature on earth. Every creature on earth. So God creates, he gives a covenant with Noah and all human beings who will ever live upon this earth here on after. He makes a covenant. He says, I'm going to promise you, I'm not going to do this again. I'm not going to do this again. But here's what you need to understand. This is your part in this covenant. Because the covenant is a two-way street. Uh, he breaks down three things that uh, he commands of human beings, of no matter their, their, their religion, no matter where they come from. This is for all human beings, all everywhere. This is what he says to do. It's very basic stuff. Number one, he says in verse one, be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth. Same thing he gave to Adam and Eve. He told them to be fruitful and multiply. So what do we see? Uh, Noah and his family, they start having, uh, they build another family, build more families. And as families build, they start to spread out all over the earth. And as populations grow, families grow, and uh, lineages happen. And now all of us are here in 2022, uh, 2,000 years after Jesus resurrected after after he was after he was born, and so all of us are products of people being fruitful and multiplying. Right? You can't have civilization without people, and so he says, "Be fruitful and multiply." Very basic stuff. Very basic call to to train kids, to have kids, to train them and nurture them, and to send them out so that they can do the same in their lives. Number two, he tells them to sustain life. He says in verses three and four, he talks about, uh, "Hey, every creature has been given to you." Just like every green plant is given to you. Why? So that you can eat. So that you can not only create life, but sustain it. It's very basic. But as, uh, as populations grow, as what we see, right? Hunters hunt. Gatherers gather. Uh, farmers farm. And as we see civilizations pop up and nations pop up, uh, sometimes the sophistication climbs. And, and they have bartering systems and they, they've got, they've got some food and they've got some, some meat. They've got some veggies and they trade it and they barter and they, they converse and they commerce. And then as they go, like, what do we see? We see eventually very, very new phenomenon. Uh, agriculture work is done by a very few and we have, uh, systems and, and supply chain that allows us to have what we have and grocery stores to go and get food from. And, uh, it's just all a product of, us obeying what God said to Noah that we are to use this these resources to sustain life. And then the third thing, he recognizes, God recognizes that sin has entered the human race. And so it doesn't matter after this restart, sin's still going to be a problem. And so he tells them to seek justice. It's a very basic justice, very basic ethic. Don't murder people. And if you do, then human beings are going to practice retributive justice on you. So don't shed someone's blood. Why? Because they're made in the image of God. And uh, as people who are made in the image of God, we are called to execute justice on those who do wrong. And so you see the very foundation of what uh, we come to know as what government is on its most basic sense supposed to do is to seek justice. To have justice happen. And after this happens, we see uh, people uh, are, are fruitful and multiply. They fill the earth and people spread out. And then nations rise up and kings rise up. And these civilizations, they rise up. And as time goes on, uh, kings take power and eventually Israel becomes a nation. And, and the, the people of God who have, are in a unique covenant with God uh, are, are given the, the law as a way to govern themselves. 
And then eventually another empire rises up and they go by the name of the Babylonian Empire. And they set their sights eventually on Israel and they take over Israel. And so now the Jewish people who are uh, called by God to be God's people are now living in exile in a foreign land. And so wouldn't it be interesting if God told them something on how they should interact with the governing authorities? When we're talking about politics, it's important to see what God has said throughout the ages. And so now they are under the authority of Babylon. And this is where we see Daniel rise up in power in the royal courts. And this is where we see also Jeremiah doing ministry. So we're going to turn to Jeremiah and see what God says to the people of God on how they're supposed to interact with the governing authorities. Jeremiah chapter 29, verses 4 through 9. This is what God tells the Israelites as they are in exile in Babylon. Jeremiah chapter 29, verses 4 through 9. This is what the Lord of armies, the God of Israel, says to the exiles, to all the exiles I deported from Jerusalem to Babylon. Build houses and live in them. Plant gardens and eat their produce. Find wives for yourselves and have sons and daughters. Find wives for your sons and Give your daughters to men in marriage so that they may bear sons and daughters. Multiply there. Do not decrease. Pursue the well-being of the city I have deported you to. Pray to the Lord on its behalf, for when it thrives, you will thrive. For this is what the Lord of armies, the God of Israel, says. Don't let your prophets who are among you and your diviners deceive you. And don't let listen to the dreams you elicit from them, for they are prophesying falsely to you in my name. I have not sent them. This is the Lord's declaration. So in the middle of being in exile, so a foreign nation takes over, and now Israel is in Babylon, what do you see God saying to them? Very basic uh, things. Not like, wow, that's a really just motivating speech. But he tells them to do very basic things. The same thing that he told Noah, be fruitful, multiply, build houses, uh, eat, sustain yourself. Build, plant gardens, eat from it, eat from the produce. Give your, uh, marry and have kids and have your kids marry and have more kids. Do not decrease, but increase there and pursue the well-being of the city in which you are in. Pursue the, pray for your city. Pursue the well-being because even though this is not your nation, it will go well for you if it goes well for the nation. And so he tells them to pursue that end. And so going on, Israel eventually does return back to their homeland. But then later, uh, another nation rises up and sets their sights on Israel. It's the Roman Empire. And in the first century, uh, they had not exiled them. The Romans did a different thing and they just occupied them. So they allowed them to stay in their own place, but they had to live by Roman rules. And so it is in that context where the emperor of Rome is in charge of the people of God In the first century, that is the context in which Jesus comes onto the scene of history. This is the context where Jesus is preaching the kingdom of God as the emperor is in Rome, demanding all of them to bow to him. This is, this is, uh, Jesus preaching and his preaching that he is the king, that of the kingdom of God, that's why he got crucified. And who did the Jewish authorities go to crucify him? The Romans. And so Roman soldiers who are in charge of crucifying criminals are the ones who crucified Jesus. He's in a tomb now, has been there for, this is the third day he's been dead. Now Sunday rolls around, the tomb rolls away, and Jesus is alive. Who is outside of the tomb? Roman soldiers. 
And then Jesus preaches the kingdom of God, shows himself to hundreds of people, and then in the midst of Roman occupation is when the church is birthed. And so now we have this church, we have the people of God saved by him, but now still under Roman oppression, still under Roman occupation. And this is where uh, Paul, in about A.D. 57, writes a letter to the church in Rome, which, by the way, was consisted of about five house churches, so about maybe 30 people apiece. And so if you look around between our two services here at FCC, uh, we have a larger congregation than they did in the church in Rome. And so it is in that context that, that Paul speaks to the church in Rome, um, and this is what he says. And I think this is really important for us to see the consistency that God has in terms of politics and our engagement with it. Romans chapter 13, starting in verse 1. Let everyone submit to the governing authorities, since there is no authority except from God. And the authorities that exist are instituted by God. So then, the one who resists the authority is opposing God's command. And those who oppose it will bring judgment on themselves. For rulers are not a terror to good conduct, but to bad. Do you want to be unafraid of the authority? Do what is good, and you will have its approval. For it is God's servant for you, your good, but if you do wrong, be afraid, because it does not carry the sword for no reason. For it is God's servant and avenger that brings wrath on the one who does, not, who does wrong. Therefore, you must submit, not only because of the wrath, but also because of your conscience. And for this reason, you pay taxes, since the authorities are God's servants, continually attending to these tasks. Pay your obligations to everyone, taxes to those you owe taxes, tolls to those you owe tolls, respect to those you owe respect, and honor to those you owe honor. Now, I know that the passage I just read, I'm not aloof to the fact that for some of you, the last two years, this has been the one Bible passage you hate. I'm, I'm not ignorant of that. And if you are uneasy with especially that first verse. Let everyone submit to the governing authority, since there is no authority except from God, and the authorities that exist are instituted by God. Understand your uneasiness with that. The, the first century Christians, they had an uneasiness with it too. Now think about it. So Roman situation, you're a Christian, you're maybe a Jewish Christian, or maybe you're a Gentile Christian, and you are now um, understanding that the king of the universe is Jesus, but you are still living under Roman rule. And it was very common in this day and time, uh, around the time that, that Paul was writing, that there was a lot of discontentment with taxes. This was a common thing in the political world, in, the, in, the, in society. People were very upset with how much taxes uh, were required as, as people who were under Roman rule. Doesn't sound unfamiliar, right? And what does Paul say? Pay your taxes. And so you, you just imagine they're frustrated and they're hearing this, it gives a different perspective. Not only that, but um, a couple years before Paul writes this, in the year AD 54, Emperor Claudius ended up um, expelling all the Jewish people from the city of Rome. Took them out, said, you can't be here anymore, you're gone. And what, we, what historians and theologians believe was happening was that the Jewish uh, people were having some arguments within each other because some Jews were deciding to follow Jesus and some Jews were deciding not to. That Some Jews saw that him as the Messiah and some didn't. 
And so this was causing friction and, and uh, controversy within the Jewish people. And for Emperor Claude, he was like, just get out. I don't even want to deal with you anymore. And then a couple of years later, uh, he is replaced by the Emperor Nero. And that is who is in charge right now when Paul is telling them to submit to the governing authorities. Now, this is the same guy who is just a decade or a couple decades away from instituting a practice for his Roman citizens for entertainment to bring Christians into the Roman Colosseum and feed them to lions. What are you doing Saturday night? Oh, yeah. Going to go check out the show. Christians being fed the lions. Yeah, the lion, the witch in the wardrobe, you know, that kind of thing. Uh, the lion wins. It's not the right lion. This is the same kind of thing that's happening. And so even in that, he's saying submit to the governing authorities. That's just, it makes us uneasy as Americans. Right? You can say yes. Uh huh. But I think what Paul is doing is he wants the followers of Jesus in Rome and anywhere is to, to be shrewd in their dealings with the powers that be. Why? Because Paul was always focused on the mission of God far more than dealing with the politics of the day. I mean, Romans is 16 chapters and he spends seven verses talking about this subject. All the rest of it, he's talking about who you are in Christ and what that means for your relationships. You're with God and with each other. That now there, there is this complete transformation. Now you can be friends with those who are nothing like you because Jesus loved you. And so he, he wants us to be shrewd in pursuing the mission of God because it doesn't matter who's in Rome. It doesn't matter who is in D.C. We have a king who's in heaven and he's reigning and ruling regardless and we get to follow him and our hope is founded in him. And that is the kind of foundation that we roll with. But the question is, Okay, all of this, we looked at three different passages from the Old Testament and uh, pursuing through history and in the New Testament as well. What can we determine? What can we conclude about civil government and how God looks at it? Four things, at least. Civil government is at least this. Number one, it's legitimate. Civil government is legitimate, whether you like it or not. Anarchy ain't a good option. And God agrees. Uh, submit to the governing authority since there is no authority except from God and the authorities that exist are instituted by God. We see this from Genesis throughout and all the way into the New Testament. Uh, civil government is legitimate, but it's temporary. As long as the earth endures is what God says to Noah that these things are to be. Uh, as long as the earth endures, there will be a day where civil government is not no longer needed. No longer. Why? Because we'll be in Jesus' presence. He'll be reigning and ruling. We won't need any of that because we'll be with him in his fullness. Uh, civil government is number three, for the common good. It's not for your own, just for your political party. It's not just for your uh, the same people who share your same religion. It's not just even for the same uh, people who uh, are, are like you. It's for the people who are unlike you as well. Civil government is for the common good. It's for the common good. Paul, uh, God said to uh, Noah in Genesis, this is for every creature to pursue justice. Number four, account, the, the, the civil government is accountable to God. Uh, government and government leaders are accountable to God. And so when you see injustice happening, understand. Whether that's dealt with in this day and time or the next, it will be dealt with. When, when government leaders do not hold to their word, they're accountable to God. When they hold their word in unjust ways, they're accountable to God. So civil government is legitimate, it's temporary. 
It's for the common good, and they are accountable to God. Okay? Civil government. A basic political theology. Now, the question for us is, okay, all right, what does it look like to submit in the U.S. of A? Because it says, let everyone submit to the governing authorities, since there is no authority except from God, and the authorities that exist are instituted by God. Um, that's really the question. What does submit mean? It seems put yourself under. So uh, just so you know, we're not, we don't have the same governmental system as they did in Rome. We are not an empire with an emperor. We are not a monarchy. We are something different. So that, in this conversation, is really important. So if you remember uh, high school uh, or middle school government class, whenever that gets taught, um, and, and you hated that, you're, you're, you're going to have some triggering moments here. okay? Because we need to look at this. If we are called to submit to the governing authorities, we need to understand what the governing authorities even mean in our day and time. So what does this mean in the U.S. of A.? What does this even mean? Because we don't have the same kind of government as Rome does. What do we have here in America? The United States of America has a constitutional, democratic, republic form of government. I'll say it again. The United States of America has a constitutional, democratic, republic form of government. Uh, our, our authority, the government authority, comes from, derives from the consent of its citizens. Practicing free and fair elections. Now, we're not a direct democracy, because that, what that would require us to do is to look at every piece of legislation, everyone, everywhere, who calls themselves, who are citizens of this country, would have to vote. That's not what we do. So we are a democratic republic. So we elect representatives who represent us in our region where we are, and we get to advocate to them. We get to decide who, who we want to represent us and their values. And we look at that and, and compare it to our values. And, and hopefully they're keeping their word. And we can converse with them. We can advocate to them. And we can work through them so that they work either in uh, D.C. or in the state capital of Indiana, Indiana, in Indianapolis. So that's how we function as a government. So what does that mean? What does it mean to submit to the governing authorities in the United States of America? It means that we submit to the Constitution, first and foremost. Because that is the supreme law of the land. The law of the land is the United States Constitution. So, uh, just a little primer, uh, review. The Constitution consists of three parts. The preamble, the seven articles, and the 27 amendments that are there currently. Uh, so within the Constitution, uh, the founders established three branches of government. Three branches of government. Number one is the legislative branch. They make the laws. Number two is the executive branch. They execute and enforce the law. And number three, the, the judicial branch, which in interprets the law. And all three of these are designed to limit the power of the others. It's the separation of powers. And this is a good idea because that takes into account the sinfulness of human beings. Because when you have power and when you have absolute power, that corrupts. Absolutely. When you have power, it is an easy road to go to corruption. And so the founders saw that and they instituted the separation of powers so that we as human beings can do the best possible job that we possibly could. So it's a pretty good system. And in the, in the Constitution, the first ten amendments are known as the Bill of Rights. And as followers of Jesus who are called to submit to the governing authorities, it's important, important for us to understand what those things are. 
it's important for us to understand in which the system in which we operate. So we're going to go through those briefly. The Bill of Rights, first ten amendments. Number one, establishes the freedom of religion, uh, which basically means that the government cannot have an official religion, cannot push that on anyone. See, government um, oftentimes works through coercion, right? It's justice and through coercion. The kingdom of God does not work through coercion. So you have the free exercise of any religion that you observe, as long as it doesn't violate any of these other laws. Like, as long as your religion is not causing you to kill people, that's, that's not good and that's not allowed. Oh, it's just my religion. No, you're still going to be held accountable. So the freedom of religion, freedom of speech, the freedom of the press, the freedom of assembly, and the freedom of petition was all established in the First Amendment and the Bill of Rights in the Constitution of the United States of America. Number two, the right to bear arms. Number three, the no quartering right. That means in, in peacetime, you're not going to be required to house soldiers in your house unless you married one. Probably helps, you know. Number four, freedom from unreasonable search and seizure. Number five, right to equal justice. Number six, right to speedy and fair trial. Number seven, establishes the right to jury trial and civil lawsuits. Number eight, it establishes the freedom from excessive fines and cruel and unusual punishment. Number nine, it establishes the right to many other freedoms. Doesn't get real specific. It's like you got a lot of other freedoms too. Number 10, state rights. So that's just a very quick overview, like brush up on it, because these are the rights that are instituted to civilians uh, of this country, to to, to citizens, rather, of this country as their rights, as their freedoms in the governmental system in which we operate, the governing authorities in which we submit. In our system is the Constitution, first and foremost, and the powers that it establishes after that. So uh, what I want to give you is four ways to live under the Constitution as a Christian. Uh, I got a lot of these ideas from a pastor named Tyler McKenzie um, and just kind of modified it uh, a little bit. And um, th- these, are, these are things, four ways to live under the Constitution as a Christian. Number one, grow in your understanding of how your government works. Grow in your understanding of how your government works. I understand that we're all on a spectrum of our level of involvement and level of engagement on the political and governmental situation. Uh, some of us are like, I just hate even thinking about it. And others of us, like, I can't stop thinking about it. It's all I think about. Uh, wherever you are on that spectrum, uh, it would be good to at least grow in a basic understanding of how your government works. Number two, utilize your constitutional freedoms. If you have freedoms that are established by your government, utilize them. That means uh, you can vote. You should, you should speak. You can organize. You can protest. You can advocate. You can do all those things. And you can do them in such a way that would bring honor to Jesus. Number three, prioritize others' constitutional freedoms. How often in our political discourse are we engaging with looking out for the freedoms of others? Freedom of speech means that no matter what your ideas are, you can speak them and that the emperor from Rome is not going to kill you because that is how they lived in Rome. Prioritize others' constitutional freedoms. That should, that's not just an American thing. That should be a Christian thing, right? Like we came up with that. God came up with that. First two commandments. What are the first one? Love, love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. What's the second one? It's really like it. Love, the, love your neighbor as you love yourself. How much do we think about that when we're engaging in politics? 
Number four, let your allegiance to Jesus rule all that you do. Let your allegiance to Jesus rule all that you do. Friends, it doesn't matter what governmental system we live under. um, We still have a king who's in charge. We still have one who is to be worshipped. Our country is not to be worshipped. Our king is. And so we follow him first and foremost. So our our politics, the way we shape them, the way that we interact uh, with other people about them is all shaped under the rule and reign of Jesus. And it comes from him. And so that is how we need to operate. Let me remind us, Philippians chapter 3, verse 20. Our citizenship is in heaven, and we eagerly await for a Savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ. Our citizenship is in heaven. Yes, you may be likely a citizen of this country, but before any of that, you are a citizen of the kingdom of heaven. That is where your ultimate allegiance resolves. That is where your king is, and that is what he's calling us to do as the church in this world is to spread the kingdom of God. The good news that there is a king. We are heralds of that message. But also, wouldn't it be interesting if the New Testament uses the same wording as what God did to the Israelites in the book of Jeremiah as they are exiles? Wouldn't it be interesting if he says those same kinds of words about us, which would mean that our citizenship is in heaven and that this place is not our ultimate home, but we have Another home, it would be interesting if he said that. In fact, he does. First Peter 2, 11 through 7, or 11 through 12 says, Dear friends, I urge you as strangers and exiles, strangers and exiles to abstain from sinful desires that wage war against the soul. Conduct yourselves honorably among the Gentiles so that when they slander you as evildoers, they will observe your good works. And we'll glorify God on the day he visits. Now, it's also interesting, those of you in community groups, you're going to be looking at the passage that's right after that, which also involves this. Uh, he says basically the same thing as Paul did said, said in Romans chapter 13, verse 1. It, as strangers and exiles, submit to the, your governing authorities. And, and, honor, and, and live, yourselves, live, live life honorably among the Gentiles, so that they may see your good, wor- good works and glorify our Father in heaven. This is what I want you to walk away with, church. Christians in America are strangers and exiles called to live under the authority of the Constitution while seeking to make disciples of Jesus' kingdom. Our ultimate authority is Jesus and what he says. But here on this earth, we also have this uh, idea of submitting to the governing authorities. And what that means for us here in America is that we are strangers and exiles called to live under the authority of the Constitution while seeking to make disciples of Jesus. May we be more concerned about making disciples of the people around us than we are merely engaging in politics. See, friends, here's the thing. I understand this and you, you do too. Bad politics lead to really bad places. That that lives are at stake. And bad politics can lead to really, really horrific suffering. And so I understand that politics are important, y'all, because of that. And so we should work for the good of our city, work for the good of our nation. And even because we are followers of Jesus and our our, uh, citizenship is in heaven and that knows no bounds... We should work for the good of all people, not just Americans. So what can we take from this? A little review. Civil government. 
It's legitimate. It's temporary. It's for the common good. And civil government is accountable to God. Four ways to live under the Constitution as a Christian. Number one, grow in your understanding of how your government works. Number two, utilize your constitutional freedoms. Number three, prioritize others' constitutional freedoms. Number four, let your allegiance to Jesus rule all that you do. All that you do. So church, I hope that you will make it a point to join us next week because we're going to talk about uh, the values that we as followers of Jesus bring to the political world and the vices that we must be on guard against that can come quickly into our hearts when it comes to political engagement. So we're going to look at the values and the vices of political engagement because this is all a war for your heart and for your soul. The enemy wants to use this as a way to get you off the track of following Jesus. So that's next week. Let's stand, we'll pray, and we'll see. King Jesus, we are grateful that you have allowed us to uh, have a hope that goes far beyond anything that happens in our country, anything that happens uh, with those who are in power. Um, God, we, we know that bad politics can lead to bad places. And for that, we want to work for the common good. We want to pray for the common good. But also, Lord, we, we know that our hope goes far beyond whatever happens in this nation or any other. God, we're grateful that you call us your sons and daughters as we surrender to you. Help us to see that we have hope regardless of anything else. Um, Lord, would you put, uh, put a passion in us to make disciples of yours, the kind of passion that, that would uh, be far beyond the passion that we have in the political world. But God, would you help us to be on fire for you, to show people the goodness of your grace and mercy. Why? Because we are living in light of it. Would you help us to love each other? God, would you be with us as we, com- as we converse about these things in community groups and around the table at home and with coworkers and friends and family just because it's on our mind? God, would you lead us in that? Help us to, to love you and to love people in all that we do. We love you, Jesus. We pray in your name. Amen. Thanks for listening to this podcast by First Church of Christ in Bluffton, Indiana. For more information, visit FCCFamily.com.